You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're continuing our Based on a Novel series with Rosemary's Baby. You, no trouble. Me, Fifth Element. Supreme Being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. podcast i'm brian elkins and with me tonight mr jeremy benson thanks for having me back you know on this series we're gonna we're gonna talk about the book and uh then we'll talk about the movie compare them it's a pretty close adaptation uh yeah i <laughs> I, I actually just after getting done say that i'm like well you know how are we going to talk about the book and the, they're pretty much the same uh there's some stuff in the book that's not in the movie but pretty close yeah yeah they just cut some stuff out pretty much and yeah they don't change too much of anything. We'll get into it once we get it like into the plot. But I did think the character of Rosemary was stronger in the book. After reading the book and then rewatching the movie, she came across a little bit like a pushover. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You got to cut something out. You can't film a whole book. This is not a really long book, but that, there's that one section like after she stuff happened. <laughs> after she gets raped by the devil. <laughs> weird just but there there's that scene afterwards where it's like in the book she like she leaves and she gets really really upset with guy her husband yeah well maybe we should you know kind of go through the the basic plot and then we'll compare okay well you contrast and all right so the movie uh follows rosemary uh, woodhouse who is uh a married cutie. woman mia farrow yeah uh married to actor guy there's another difference there. In the book, they had already rented another apartment. And the apartment that they go to in the movie opens up. And they get really excited because and it's like their dream place. So they lie to their other tenant, their other landlord, so that they can take this. There's a couple of little things where you see Guy is willing to manipulate. Oh, yeah, he's an actor. And he's like, he, man, he's all about like, oh, yeah, honey, I can get us out of this. Don't you worry. Don't worry. In it's the cool. book, yeah, it definitely lays like the, the foundation that he is. He's willing to manipulate to get what he wants. Yeah, I, he, dude, he is a dick. The guy character, um, I'm just come out and say it right now. I hate him. For any of you that are listening to this that haven't seen the movie or read the book, shame on you. 
De- definitely for the movie. You know, the the book. I hadn't read the book. I said saw the movie or read the book. Okay, okay, you put an order and not and. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I put it in order. Because <laughs> we're going to spoil it, and this is a really good movie. So, I mean, it's even got an 8.0 on IMDb. There you go. Look at that. You know how hard it is to get an 8.0 on IMDb? <laughs> you People have to like sell your too. soul to, well, <laughs> pun intended. So the movies, they move into this apartment. There's some old people upstairs, and she ends up having this dream that they all kind of gather around her while she's naked, and Satan has rapes her, and then she's pregnant, and at the end of the movie, you find out, holy shit, her husband made a deal with this cult that good things will happen to him if he lets the devil rape his wife and have his baby. Yeah, her her husband's an asshole. Yeah, he gets in with like this a whole coven of witches that you know just happen to be the next door neighbors. They're all witches. But I guess the leader. It's ne- it's never really said, but you assume that Roman Cassavetes or is it Castavetes or is it Castavet? Well, the actor that plays Guy is like John Cassavetes, <laughs> so I get his last right. name and the and the actors uh, uh, the characters' names mixed up. But no, in the, in the book, they're just. I don't I don't know what they say to Guy, but it's implied like that they make this other actor go blind. That, oh yeah. That gets this role that Guy was also auditioning for. Because it kinda goes goes over it really quick in the movie, but in the book it explains that yeah. that he auditioned for the role and he's now the understudy and this was gonna be his big shot, but this other guy got it and the other guy's a nice guy and once they move in and they may he makes friends with the old couple upstairs and Romer, Rosemary ends up pregnant now this guy goes blind and he gets the part and it's it's really cool it's like it's a detective type story because she's having to put all these pieces together to figure out what's going on while it's wrapped in the supernatural and her uh her friend hutch man he's a lot more in the book and oh yeah dropping you know information and hints and he does give her the book all of them witches yeah it's called all of them are witches all of them witches and, like, his dying words are... Um, the title's an anagram or something like that? The name's an anagram. Yeah, the name's an anagram. And he had figured out that Roman Cassavet is really Stephen Mungo or something like that. Stephen Mutcalf or... So it, <clears throat> something else. He's the yeah. son of this famous witch, yeah, this... Satan worshiper from New York in the early 1800s. and That's in this same hotel. Right. That... Turns out that Rosemary's living in now. There's two things that are really going on. There's the guys being corrupted by these coven of witches, and then uh, Rosemary's paranoia starts growing and growing. I feel like right. the movie that was the movie's main focus, whereas in the you know in the book, like kind of both of these stories are going along. Well, there's just more scenes. There's more know? scenes where you you start seeing his relationship with her, where instead of staying home for dinner, he's going up to the coven are going up to see the neighbors, and she's getting really jealous of how much time he's spending away, and there's even, there's a line in the movie of, you won't even look at me, and in the book, that makes sense, because it's been, like, weeks that he'll just come home and leave, or he doesn't want to be around her, because he feels bad that he sold her body to the devil. That That is the worst thing. Like, as a husband, that, I mean, that's what he does. Like, hey, look, you can make this one guy go blind. I'll let you conjure up Satan. Kills her best friend. Hutch. Yeah. Kill, kills the girl she meets down in the laundry room. Right. <laughs> they never really came out and explained why they killed her. 
I didn't know if she was supposed to maybe potentially be a surrogate for the son of Satan as well. I or... think so. I, I think. Is that, is that what you think? And they were that's like, what, oh, that's what Rosemary. I gathered. Yeah. That was kind of vague. Like, I didn't know if they were just trying to make her a member or she. <laughs> or maybe she even was pregnant and figured out what was going on and said, fuck this. The neighbors are very, like, they're just nosy. They're, they're, nosy they're old typical people. old, like, New York people. I don't know, but there's a sense of, like, that grandpa-ness about right, them, right. too. Or it's just like, hey, come on, there's no way they're witches. But, no, I think, you know, story-wise, I, I, I thought there's a lot of cool little elements that made it into from the book to the movie. Like the charm and the, what's it called? The devil seed or whatever it is. The, oh, the like devil's moss or yeah, whatever that fungus it, is. It stinks. And later in the movie when she goes to the doctor and she's figured it all out and she's going to tell the doctor that she needs to deliver the baby now and that they're, she thinks they're out to kill the baby. She has no idea that she's carrying the Antichrist. And she's there and the nurse is like, oh, you're not wearing your perfume. And she's like, what are you talking about? Shit, that stinks. The doctor wears it too. And she realizes, oh crap, he's been with that same moss. He's a part of the cult. He's part of the cult. Or the coven, whatever they are. That's the thing, man. Like, who would believe that story? Oh, yeah, my husband, he's a member of this cult with their old neighbors. He's a famous doctor in the city. (laughs) Everybody in the book, like, drops some line, like, oh, Dr. Saperstein delivered so-and-so. Well, of course he's a famous doctor in the city. He's part of the coven. They all get everything they want. If anybody gets more famous than me, I'll just make them go blind and put them in a coma. I did like that. Um, like that's how they got what they wanted. It wasn't like they were like had some kind of like genie lamp and magic things happen. It's like no, we're just gonna make this person go blind. We'll step in their spot. It'll work out. But you gotta have like something that belongs to them. Yes. And like I love the scene in the both the book and the movie where she calls the blind guy. She just mentions that, you know, she has something of his. And then he's like, oh, you mean my tie? And she's like, oh, damn, now I know. The film and the book, they're just so similar. Like, Down to, like, there's a dream sequence when she's being raped. The the old lady makes her, like, a chocolate mousse, but she doesn't like the way it tastes, so she doesn't eat the whole thing. So she doesn't get the full dose of knockout powder. So she's half awake while all this is going on, but she's slipping back and forth between the ceremonial rape and... I can't believe I'm saying that. The (laughs) ceremonial rape and this dream she's having that in the book it describes that it's with John F. Kennedy and all these famous people. The first time I saw this movie, like, I didn't get that that was John F. Kennedy. Dude, I didn't get that either. But when you watch the movie after knowing that that's John F. Kennedy, you're like, oh, that is, yeah, they did a great job of casting John F. Kennedy. Yeah, they even have Jackie in there. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. That went right over my head. I was reading the book, and I was just like, huh, I wonder why they cut that out. And you watch the movie, you're like, oh, they didn't cut uh, that yeah, out. I know, right? I was just like, oh, my God. And it's amazing how many little details from the book like show up in the movie, like the painting of the burning church and yeah. the towels falling when she opens the closet. The fucking cover of the Time magazine, man. Um, yeah. Was I, was that an actual cover of Time magazine? I is, think so. Is God dead? Yeah, I think so. Okay. In the but book, they definitely played up. Remember that scene in the movie. Her religion way more in the book. Because in the book, she's Catholic and she's, you know, having her little moments of doubt and 
she's moved away from her small town and moved to the big city and her family doesn't think that's a good idea. They don't trust Guy. Don't blame him. Yeah, the, the pope. pope is coming to town and she wants to go see him and uh, that's how, that's how you know something's up with Roman for the first time. You know, he starts talk he starts trash talking the pope right in front of this catholic girl. <laughs> it's like, "Hey, wait a minute, man. You're not so nice." And you know, I mean, like even little stuff like they've taken their pictures down. You could have left that little detail out of the screenplay and nobody would have thought anything about it, but it's cool that it's there. Oh yeah. That way, when you go back in the house at the end, and oh, all those man. pictures are hanging up, and you're like, "Ooh, this is creepy." I've always liked the end of Rosemary's Baby, the uh, the way the movie ends. Um, the book, I enjoyed the the way the book ended just a little bit more, just because you're able to get in, in Rosemary's, Rosemary's mindset head. just a little bit better, and you're starting to you kind of feel that transformation between. I can't believe this is happening. I hate you people, but that is my baby. And in the movie, it's kind of like, oh, my God, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? You read the book, it's just like, oh, come on, go over to that little baby. Take his little hoof feet. I don't remember. Did he have hoof feet in the... From what I remember in the book, he just looked like a normal baby. Oh, did he? No, because he, no, there's that line in the book, his eyes. Well, other than his eyes. Did he not? I think he had hoof feet it, and horns. It seems like in the book they say something like, other than his eyes... I thought they said something about he his horns. No, I, 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 I'd have to reread that part of the book. But, yeah, I would have to. I thought he had horns or something. Because I remember thinking, like, oh, it's just his eyes. I thought in the movie he, like, had hoof feet or something. Yeah, in the movie he does, definitely does. Because isn't she, like, knitting? What, one of the old witches, isn't she, like, knitting, like, little hoof booties or something? Something like that. They mention his hands. They mention something about his hands. I can't remember. I noted it while we were watching it. Well, he's got to look pretty normal because in the second one he's just a kid, right? Oh man, yeah. I didn't. I haven't read. I haven't read it either. I heard Son it was terrible. Was it Son of Rosemary? Yeah, I, I read a bunch of like reviews that bragging on Rosemary's Baby, and then they get to Son of Rosemary and like, what happened? But apparently, Ira Levin. Yeah, Ira the, Levin, the author. The, he yeah. he's really into like satire. So apparently, the second one is very much kind of a satire on the idea. And he's wrote some wrote some popular stuff. Boys from Brazil. I haven't Stepford read Stepford Wives. Seen oh yeah, there goes another one. I've seen the movies. I have not read the books. Apparently Slither with uh everybody's favorite oh. leg crosser. Uh Sharon Stone. There you go, man. Nineties Sharon Stone. Oh, I'm sorry. Sex education for an entire generation of young men. Let's have a moment of silence here. Uh, Son, it's time we have the talk. Don't need to. Saw a Sharon Stone movie. Gotcha. <laughs> I watched Basic Instinct 13 times. Oh, well, probably no more than me then. Just remember, that thing in that second scene, most chicks don't like that. Well, which scene was that, Brian? Explain. <sighs> I'll just I'll just end it with wrong hole. Wrong hole. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's what... Please, <laughs> please tweet us with a hashtag wrong hole. It's... <laughs> It was educational at a young age. I don't know. I mean, Son of Rosemary's, uh, Son of Rosemary sounds really, really bad. From what I was reading, the whole thing ends up being a dream, and it ends with them not accepting this apartment that they go to at, in the beginning of Rosemary's Baby. Right. Uh, I don't know. That just. I don't want to read that. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Maybe, maybe we should read it and keep an open mind. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's doing something funny there. I don't know. Even in uh. Stephen King's Dan- Dance Macabre, it 
doesn't mention highly of Son of Rosemary. Ooh. Talks highly of Rosemary's baby and Stepford Wives, but oh yeah, I, I saw where he's he actually Stephen King's a big fan of Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I can't see why you wouldn't be. Yeah, I you know it's one of those movies where I keep thinking that The Omen came out before this film. I don't think so. It, no, it came out almost like ten years later. This is a pretty old movie. Yeah, uh, well, this was like '68. It was right around that time where the devil was suddenly the main villain in a lot of horror stuff. I think this is the one that kind of started that. Like, oh, the devil can be a villain? You know, that whole, like, yeah, the exorcist, the omen, and Rosemary's Baby was kind of the... I wonder which one was published first. Okay, so Rosemary's Baby, the novel, was one year before the film in 68, and even the exorcist is 71. It was published in 71? Published in 71. This is really at the kind of the, the front of those whole satanic devil worshiping cult films or the antichrist movies or whatever you don't breaking ground yeah i don't think of this movie as doing that though i always like to think of it's it's either the omen or the exorcist you know those are the i guess those were the newer ones when i was growing up well those are the bigger i guess bigger mass hits maybe i don't know this was i mean this was a pretty big hit and the exorcist definitely puts it more like in your face you know, I mean, for it being rated R, it's really just because of the nudity and... Maybe, kind of subject matter. Yeah. Like the blood scenes, it's like, yeah, it's 68, so it's just people covered in <laughs> like red paint. You know, like the the effects work is not... Like, what blood scenes? Well, like the girl that jumps out of the beginning in the, in the movie. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, but all that stuff could be shown on TV. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, now. I, I think the R rating was more like... There is a you know pretty strong devil rape scene. Yeah, there's that. And yeah, it's just the nudity and the, and and the rape uh, scene. Yeah, yeah, her nudity, and then just kind of that concept of the husband giving the wife to the devil so he can be rich. In the book, they go a lot more into that, and well, yeah, they definitely have time to explain a lot more of like what his benefits are going to be. For, yeah, like for, it seems like he's he's much more on the pathway to success Yeah, at the end of the novel than he is in the end of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's like he's about to be like a big Hollywood actor. Yeah, like he's, oh, we're going to Beverly Hills, honey, and you can have a baby anytime. Don't worry about this one. They have to drug her. Like she goes to the doctor. She's trying to like have her baby away from them because she thinks they want to sacrifice her baby. They get her they bring her back to the apartment she breaks free gets the elevator rides it up locks herself in the apartment but then they sneak in through the hidden door drug her knock her out while she's in labor and she wakes up and she's had the baby and they tell her that she lost the baby and the husband is like total like he could care less like he is not playing this well at all he's like coming in and going oh you'll be fine We'll have another one in a couple of months. No big deal. This one died. No big deal. He's like, the show's over now. I mean, like, they, they got the thing, man. We're, we're good, honey. Come on. You can have another one. Big, you're fine. Everything in there's good. And then, she, you know, she hears the bit. Like, he could have like pretended that his own kid died. Yeah, I, th- I think it was just like, man, the shtick's up now, all right? Okay, I got I got things to do. In the book, she tells him his name, right? Am I, am I remembering this right? Like, she's in the room. She's decided to, I'm going to be the mom of the baby. And that they've named him something. Oh yeah, they named him a- Adrian after uh, hail, Roman's date. Hail Adrian, and she yeah. says his name's Andy. And they all kind of look at each other and then go, "Hail Andy!" 
Did they do that in the movie? I don't. I can't remember. No, they 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 left that they, out. Like just left it at Adrian. Yeah, they they left that out. It is so weird to me to see that that little old lady from, and the Andy Griffith show going, "Hail Satan!" The end scene in the movie that is one of the greatest scenes ever put on film. <laughs> it, it's just like the what is going on, the visual imagery, what is taking place. Like everything is upside down, topsy turvy. It's like all these old sweet people. Gathered well, it's, around. it's the same way in the book, and they even have like that rich, yeah. the rich like like it was an actor or something that shows up to see the. Oh yeah, the guy from like Greece or Athens yeah. or something that's just like, who is this fucking dude from across the fucking well, they pond? Ex- they explain it in the in the book. They explain who he is. Yeah, he's like so he's from the European coven or some crap like that. Because it's yeah, this is world news in the underground witch world. Yeah, man. Hey, I mean, the, the Antichrist is born. <laughs> It's, it's time for the end of the world, babe. You know, okay, in the book, I totally made me catch this in the movie. I never caught it, but the little Asian dude with the camera and the really thick glasses. It's so stereotypical. He's just happy as shit, man. Oh, he, he's, yeah. Like, he doesn't do Tickled anything. Pink. Yeah. The one time in the book that he interacts with Rosemary, he's, like, pointing at the camera, and he's like, yeah, I gotta get a picture, get a picture. Like, get and he's almost, it's almost like he's asking her, will you take my picture <laughs> next to the little horn thing? Although I do oh. love the I, I love the dynamic between the old lady that wants to take care of Adrian, but now that oh. Rosemary's in there, she's like and she like does a little childish, sticks her tongue out. Oh man, I forget what, what her name was. Man, it's like Mary Louise or Laura Louise or something. Yeah, like Laura that. Louise. Because they do. The, it's the same thing happens in the movie in the book. Laura Louise is is rocking the baby. Yeah, and she's rocking the baby too hard and is making him cry. And Rosemary's sitting across the room looking around at this room full of nutcases like, I can't believe what's going on. But she's focused on her baby and she's like, which is so fucked up because it's she's looking at this crib. It's all black with an upside down cross hanging over it. <laughs> and she's like, you're rocking him too hard. And Laura Louise is like, I want to rock the baby. Roman. And he looks over and he's like, Laura Louise, in other words, get your old ass away and let the mama do it. You want to, let's play the trailer, go take a smoke break. When we get back, we'll get into a spoiler-filled discussion of the movie. Which, if you, if you haven't seen it, we've kind of already spoiled it, but... Yeah, I guess we have. But no. we'll, we'll be back to talk about the movie. Hashtag wrong hole. <laughs> Paramount Pictures presents Mia Farrow in a William Castle production, Rosemary's Baby. Co-starring John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy. Written for the screen and directed by Roman Polanski. From the best-selling novel by Ira Levin. Suggested for mature audiences. All right, we're back. That was the trailer for Rosemary's Baby. Gotta love those 60s trailers. <laughs> Something something special about those. Just so show you like little clips of the movie. <laughs> Not like the fifties ones where they would like show you a clip from the movie and then throw text all over the screen. <laughs> Big braggadocious text. The most frightening film ever made. Alright. So Rosemary's baby. Hashtag wrong hole. <laughs> Roman Polanski, uh speaking of wrong hole. Polish filmmaker. Uh, man, we've never gotten to talk about this director. This is one of my favorite directors, man. He's one of those filmmakers. You look at his body of work, he just had that run, 
in the 60s and early 70s where I think he did Fearless Vampire Killers, then he did Rosemary's Baby, Macbeth in Chinatown. I don't know if those are all in those order, but those are like all right there back to back. And man, that's just... Dude's lived an interesting life. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's had, he's had the, some problems here. I mean, when, you, when, when you're actually tied into the Manson family killings, whew. His wife, uh, Sharon Tate, was in uh, Fearless Vampire Killers, or pardon me, but your teeth are in my neck, I, <laughs> I believe is the full title. Uh, she's actually in that. I think that's, I don't know if that's that where, where they, they met? met. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure if they met on that, but I know they worked on that. Yeah, fucking the Manson family uh, murdered her, and that was a... Uh, that was a shame. So, so what's your what's your take on the whole he's banned from coming like what the whole dude statutory I, rape case? I don't know. That's just such a weird case. Because I'll be honest, like I'll be honest, I've never really delved into it. I don't really know the details of it. You know, I've heard him say that he thought she was eighteen. Yeah, I, well, I think <sighs> the hundred percent facts are that he took this thirteen-year-old girl to Jack Nicholson's house, and I think Angelica Houston, who was dating. Or I had just broken up with Jack Nicholson at that point. Showed up at Jack Nicholson's house. Roman Polanski was already there. The 13-year-old girl was there. And they left. And I think they went back to his place. And after that, it's all speculation. But I think she did say that he took advantage of her. Well, then why is he not allowed in the country? Well, when they were handing the sentencing out, he left. He just fled the United States and he has never set foot back in the United States since then. I think that was like in the mid-70s. And there was something about the judge. The judge was going to let him off if they cooperated and he wasn't going to do any jail time. But then I think the judge wanted to make an example of him. He had the possibility of actually getting up to 50 years. And I think he just said, screw that. I'm out. But the case was brought up again. Like, what was it, 2004 or 2008? Somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, she's still standing by like the same story. She is, but she got really pissed at the media because they drug all this stuff back up. I think when he was in France in like 2007, uh, he was being held for possible U.S. Um, Deportation? Ex- yeah, extradition. Ex- yeah, extradition. That's the right word. You give us time here, we will find the right word. <laughs> Baby steps, man. I think Whippy Goldberg came out in The View and was like, no, we, we shouldn't. I think that was her on The View. There was one somebody that was like, you know, we should allow him to come back and we should just drop all this stuff. And it got brought back up in the media spotlight all over again. And, uh, yeah, I think she was she was like, you know, the media has actually ruined my life more than Polanski ever could have. So I mean, it's just a whole big mess of a situation. And I'm a big believer in that you're innocent until proven guilty. If there was a trial and he was proven guilty, then... You can't go around sleeping with 13-year-old girls. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's not cool. We don't uh here in the United States, we we're not we're not cool with that. I mean, you know, hey, I'll you know, I'll stand by the statement I've I've seen 13-year-old girls when somebody went, "Dude, she's 13." And you're like, "What?" Well, I don't I really hate it when people are like, "Well, you know, the age of consent in other countries is different." I'm like, "Well, that's great, but you're not It didn't in happen another- in the other country." <laughs> no, right? It's like it happened in the United States. The dude ran Cannibalism is legal in some countries, but <laughs> you know I, I, you don't hear that as a defense much. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer didn't get up and go. There are tribes in Africa that, dude, that would have been awesome <laughs> if he was trying to. He was like, "Look, man, I was just trying to get in touch with my Brazil- Brazilian uh, rainforest R- roots. roots. <laughs> <laughs> I bought some piranhas in a tank, and I was just feeling very rainforest." 
Can we can we sidetrack off of Rosemary's Baby real quick onto a, a oh. side a side yeah. a side movie related? Sure. Some trailers have come out recently. A whole bunch of stuff we haven't even talked about, man. Yeah. Some good ones like War of the Planet of the Apes looks amazing. Oh, dude, I am so excited about that. Uh, I got really excited about the It trailer. That looks really great as well. Yeah. That Very. Looks like, is that going to be in two parts? Yeah, yeah. The first part's going to be the kids, and then the next part will be the adults. Okay, so they're, they're, there, there they're are separating two tra- it that way? There, yeah, there's two trailers, though, that I don't know how to take. Well, I can go ahead and say one of them is probably the Justice League trailer. The Justice League trailer. And the new Transformers trailer. Yeah, no, that is... That may be the worst trailer I've ever seen, man. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but... That's bad. As far as, like, capturing a tone, I'm not sure where it's going. Well, it's a complete 180 from all of the the rest of the marketing for the film. Well, and not to mention, you have, like, the main character in this trailer, who looks like a side character in all the other marketing, is breaking the fourth wall, talking directly into the camera about girl power. and Hey... Don't you fight like a girl, Benson? Probably. You should fight like a girl. <laughs> yeah, dude, that trailer is bad. I, I do not like anything about it. At one moment, it seems like it's a trailer for some cute little movie about a kid with robots and some post-apocalyptic. And then there's like a serious shot, and then there's this other kitty shot. I don't know. It, it just it it didn't make me like interested in seeing the movie. Every even other when, scene in the trailer feels like it belongs in a different film. Even like when Mark Wahlberg's like at the end yelling at the Dinobot going, put that down. I mean, it's cute, but it doesn't fit with like the other trailer. I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know how to take it. I, maybe I need to watch it a few more times. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if watching that thing a few more times is going <laughs> to fix your uh, opinion on that, buddy. I mean, just, ooh, or change your opinion. It's just. It's and rough. I was really let down by the Justice League trailer. I that looks. I'm sorry, but that looks terrible too. Like that looks like uh, everything I hated about BVS. And if you remember, we movie. weren't haters of BVS. Like we 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 sort of stood up for it. Yeah, like everything that I didn't like in BVS that I thought if they left that out of BVS, BVS would have been better. Is like now in this double time. Why does the Justice League look so black and dark? I don't know. Why is the sky like so black like that with all the clouds? Like a, I, I don't know. Like, it, does the sun never come out anymore? Yeah, does it take place in the Mad Max Fury Road world? No, that's a beautiful uh, landscape. Why does it look that way? Like, I kind of understand it. it. I mean, I can get it. Like, if it's BBS, all like night you know. shots, but. Even if it's for a movie that you're not really that excited about, like emotionally, the trailer like evokes something. I literally watched this and almost forgot I watched it within minutes of seeing it. It evokes nothing. How the f- why does fucking cyborg look so goddamn terrible? <laughs> and you have a budget of like three hundred some million dollars. Like how? Now, the I remember fuck? you calling and I looked at the poster and I was like, I don't think he looks bad at all. But I hadn't seen the trailer yet. But then when I saw him in the trailer, I was like, wow, this looks weird. Yeah, it looks like his face is floating. Like, on top of that metal, it does not look like it's part of his body. It doesn't... I don't know. It's uh, if 
if anybody has an alternate opinion, like please hit us up on Twitter or something and explain what we're missing. But I don't think we're missing anything, man. I mean, that, no, that just looks terrible, dude. I haven't looked online. Is the consensus online that? Oh, it's kind of all over the map from what I've seen. Like some people. Well, I mean, DC has its fanboys and its fans for sure. I mean, yeah, I've, I've heard from somebody that really, really likes the trailers that he thought it did a good job. He's excited for. It. I just don't see it. That's two trailers now for that movie that sort of bombed for me. Yeah, I thought the first one was okay, but I didn't. That that first one got on my nerves. That first one to me just it just screamed. We're gonna make Batman. The smart, like funny guy. He's basically going to be our our Iron Man, and it never really bothered me because, like, you don't need to do that with Batman. What's your superpower? I'm rich. Dude, it's really sad when you have the Justice League and your coolest member when you get out of the trailer is Aquaman. That's a, that's a sad thing, dude. And it, the only reason I think I, Aquaman came off looking the best is because he's only in fucking three scenes. And he does have that funny line. Yeah. Oh, this is fun or whatever. I don't know what it is. While he's riding on the car in the CG world? Yeah, he's up on the Batmobile. I just, it just looks. Yeah. I mean, like, if you watch, like, the trailer for War of the Planet of the Apes, and you can you see what they can do with CG and, like, just how good stuff can look. And then you watch this, and you're just scratching your head going, ah. Oh, yeah. Once you bring up War of the Planet of the Apes, dude, it's just, it's, oh, man, it's not even in the same ballpark. Like, just the snow on those monkeys. Oh yeah, I mean, come on, man! Like and that's CGI, and just the the story that's unfolding with these shots and how the trailer moves together, and and then you watch the justice. It's just like huh. I am so excited for that War of Planet of the Apes, dude! I, oh, I, this this Caesar versus Woody Harrelson. I'm ready for it, dude! I'm uh, ready these for movies, it. I, these movies have blown me away. These are amazing. Oh, um, I love Matt Reeves so much too. And I was I just was really hoping that like Warner Brothers knocked it out of the ballpark with Justice League and from what I'm seeing I am not a fan. No, dude, I'm I'm ready for this uh I almost wish they would just reboot. I no I'm I'm ready for it. Just just stop it. Just just stop. Let Matt Reeves make his Batman movie. Let's have that and then let's just just be done. What about if 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 they let Matt Reeves make a Batman movie and then like he continues the Justice League in a different direction? I mean, maybe I have never been let down by his stuff. No, I haven't either. I think he's uh man, he's he's great, man. He's got such a fucking good eye and just a good sense of like pacing in a story. Oh like, yeah, you know? his like, storytelling is excellent. Yeah, like Dawn of Planet of the Apes, man, is just. Like where that speeds up and slows down, it's just uh, everything. Oh, is and perfect. the emotional hits and the betrayal yeah. and the oh, like with Koba hands down, and, oh, yeah, man. hands down, great storytelling. It's gonna, it's gonna kind of suck if Koba's not gonna be in the new one. <laughs> I'm gonna kind of miss him. It's a shot of somebody that looks a lot like him. Yeah, it? yeah, there is. <laughs> Maybe he's not dead after all. And oh man, yeah, I'm excited for that. And it looks like one of the. Gorillas like ends up betraying. Yeah. Oh man, I like that. I see. Those movies are so good. Justice League, not not excited for it. So it fell flat for you too. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it fell flat. My jaw dropped. I just don't understand how you spend this much money and get something that looks so shit. Anybody listening to the podcast hasn't figured this kind of dynamic out between the two of us. Brian's much more of a technical what visually you were seeing on screen guy. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm much more of a, you know, storytelling. I want to know, like, story and how the emotions or whatever. 
And I agree that what is shown just looks bland and uninteresting and at certain points bad. Yeah. No but excuse for it. I can get I can I can look past that if what I'm being shown evokes some sort of like excitement or feeling of threat that these guys are gonna have to fight the ultimate villain and they're coming, you know, some excitement, some some drama. Man, I mean, I just but, given, I've already given up hope for that though for this this film series, man. It doesn't do that at all. Like I showed it to my seven year old, my seven year. You show a Justice League trailer to a seven year old who loves Justice League stuff, they should be popping their head off. She literally looked at it and went, "Wonder Woman looks cool." Have you seen <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer? And then she shows me that trailer on her little phone. Uh, it's. I have a lot of high hopes for the the standalone Batman movie, but this is even like making me like dread to even see the first images from that. I, I'm just kind of done, dude. I like Batman. I've always liked Batman, so I'll go see it. I, mean, I like Batman. I like Superman. Superman's not in this trailer at all. But yeah, he's not. He dead. Well, I I don't. But what? See, that's the thing. Like, you well, already you know. know they're going to bring it back. Well, you're, yeah. I he's mean, going to come back in some been... crazy moment, and it's going to oh. ring so fucking hollow, and nobody's going to give a fuck. All of these dark, gloomy-looking images, and they've got this remake of the Beatles song, Come Together. Oh, that is so terrible. It's, it's so conflicting in what you're seeing and hearing. I think that's a Godsmack cover of that. I don't know. I mean, I love the original song. I love the original song too, but God, but it doesn't the cover. It's not. It's conflicting. You know, it's like you're seeing these dark. You sh- you should be hearing like gloomy. And it's this happy song, and it's just like, what are you trying to convey? I'm so confused. Oh no, I'm going back to the twenty voice, guys. What we need right here, well, we we need something that really lets the audience know that the Justice League is coming together. What's a song that really? Really well, they should have just got that. the they should have just got the twenties guy's voice and went. And now the Justice League, it's, I can't do the voice like you. But now the Justice League is coming together to stop whatever this mysterious bad guy is that's going to destroy the world while Superman is missing. Dude, yeah, that would be that would be way more interesting. Yeah, if you man. did that like a like a newsreel, you know. Uh, yes, look, we we need to be on the fucking marketing department for fucking Warner Brothers. We're already doing a better job. Ant Farm, we're looking for jobs. That would be great. <laughs> Oh, please tell me Ant Farm did not do... I don't know who did the... Oh, no, there's no way Ant Farm did this. I just would like to work at Ant Farm. You know, hey, we all have bosses. There's always somebody you have to answer to. I mean, dude, it may have been a situation where, like, whoever was hired to do the trailer was just looking at what they had and went, I have no idea what to do with this. (laughs) I got this great shot of Batman uh, where he kind of looks like a rag doll, and... (laughs) I got this shot of this Terminator that has like a weird, uh, I don't know, Iron Man complex. I've got this, I got this line where this kid's asking, I don't know who this kid is, but he's asking Ben Affleck, what's your superpowers? And Ben Affleck's like, I'm rich. We'll put that in there and we'll, we'll let that be the best line of the trailer. Uh oh, uh oh. Well, hopefully the movie will come out and we'll all just come out going, okay, we were wrong. That was great. Love what they did with it. But, yeah, that was a disappointing trailer. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. Well, it's just a trailer. It's not the movie. Right, it is You're just right. a trailer. But I guess my point is, is of those two, like, Justice League was really disappointing. Transformers was just confusing. Yeah, no, that one was... Uh... It just felt really out of place. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, 
actually really like the first two Transformer Five trailers. I know. We were- <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, these are these look like they're really like gonna. This is gonna be like a cool part five to this weird little." That's what Michael Bay was like. Oh man, look, these guys said something great about me. Look at that. You know what? I'm gonna release a trailer to show them just a <laughs> special thank you. Way to go, Michael Bay. Make us eat our words, buddy. I'm gonna be po- really politically correct and. God, man, it's it's when you over like correct something, when you do it too much, it comes off as preachy and, and phony. Yeah, and a little condescending. Yeah, and it's just like, well, now you're kind of just a smug fuck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and instead of telling me what I need to hear, now you're a smug dick. I don't like you. You know, it's like there's there's a line that you have to to balance there, and I don't know. I just hate when everything is spelled out. So crystal clear. For me, I was like, okay, is this something cool that I'm just missing the point of? For the first half of the trailer. But then at the end of the trailer, when it kind of goes overboard into the preachy part, it's like, oh, this is just falling flat. The only thing I could think of watching it is a team of marketing people sitting around a table. And yeah. Like, you know the guys are going to, you know, little boys are going to flock to see this. How do we get little girls to come? And that's what makes it feel so hollow and fake. Right. Like, you want to know how to get little girls excited about a movie? Pay attention to Force Awakens. Yeah. My little girl is crazy about Rey. She has her Rey lightsaber, and she can't wait to find out what Rey does in the next movie. But Rey didn't, right go, there on, with her. Rey didn't go on screen and say, I'm a woman, <laughs> and I fight. And you want to fight like me, because women fight good. You don't know anything about the force unless you have a vagina. Do you have a vagina? Because vaginas have force. <laughs> it's like, God, come on, Hashtag man. wrong Watch. hole. <laughs> the force got the wrong hole. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, speaking of wrong hole, we're talking about... Uh, yeah, let's talk about some good Rosemary, baby. Yeah. Sorry I got off on that. I was just... You had said something about... Something that made me think of those two trailers, and I just, man, I, was, I need to get this out. Oh, my office. gosh. All right, so we, we, we talked about uh, Roman Polanski, great director, came from Poland, cul-de-sac, knife in the water, his earlier two Polish films that they've released now, here in the States. And talking Criteria. about him, you get his personal life aside. Yeah, personal life. When you watch Rosemary's Baby, I think you could almost like set a younger director down and say, Oh my gosh. This yes. is how you this is how you shoot economically. This is how you block, this is how you use actors, block. use your lens, tell the story with the camera while not having to shoot a bunch of coverage. I know, dude, I completely agree with everything you just said, especially the blocking. Oh my god. Fucking directors nowadays do not know fucking how to block actors for the fucking camera. Directors get so lazy now where they we just and I blame a just, little bit of it on for, television. Just for reference, he's not talking about me, he's talking about somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely well, I'm not saying every director does it, but and it's not fair to accuse like JJ Abrams of it, but he he does do it a little bit in like the first Star Trek where you can tell he doesn't feel a hundred percent comfortable with the wide shots always. And he comes from TV. And you can see that he cheats a lot with where the actors are in space by just knocking out a lot of close-ups. Well, yeah, well, there's that, especially if you have unlimited money, I can see where this would become a 
fallback. But no, it's that mentality of, well, we make sure we get a lot of coverage so we can cover everything and get good takes and exciting edits. And yeah, when, you know, sometimes it's really cool to play it out and let the actors come in and out of focus and move here. Well, it's a lot harder, right? Oh, yeah. Because your actors have to move at a certain point. They have to hit their marks at a certain time to make sure that they're in focus at this part. And when they move back there, the focus puller has to pull. And not not to mention, you have to explain to them, this is where I want you to be. Yes. I mean, it's a lot easier to go in and go, okay, guys, let's see what you got. And then look at the camera crew. Okay, where do y'all want to cover this? (laughs) When you you start, uh, you know, filmmaking and you, you know, you, you get your your daily shots down on a piece of paper and everything, and you look at it, and usually you can just tell by how green somebody is right away because they're like, hey, man, why is there only like 20, 25 shots on here? That's what we're going to get done today. That's it? Oh, brother. Do you know how much work? (laughs) Like everybody has got to be on the same page at the exact moment to get that perfect shot off. And, yeah, it takes work, man. It takes time. Yeah. Definitely, you know, easier to blow through a scene to say, okay, we're going to have a static wide or a slight moving wide here, and then we're going to go in and get close-ups, and we're out. Going back to where you're talking about, like, the setups, and you watch the scenes in this movie, you'll watch, and it'll just be, like, a giant master that's on a dolly that'll move around the characters, and when Plansky cuts and gets inserts, he's showing you... Something. Yeah, it's for a different angle for a reason. And it's like we're seeing something from somebody else's point of view. We're switching here to get this piece of information. And I use the word economical because, you know, on one hand, it feels like you're going a lot faster when you're you're shooting all these different setups. And because you're moving, you're doing stuff. You're not you're not hung up on that one shot. But in reality, if you just hang up on that shot and you get that shot perfect and you get the information you want in it, you're done. And then when you do cut away, it means more. I don't know. It make, makes your edits really important, too. Yeah, when you cut to her picking up a knife, that knife means something. Yeah. The moment it, it first jumped out to me the first time I saw this movie was um, when she lets uh, Roman into the apartment when Hutch is in, is in there. Rosemary opens the door, and she notices that Roman's ears are pierced. Yeah. And it's the shot, and it's kind of over Rosemary's shoulder, and you can, you can see Roman. He's kind of, like, snooping in, like, hey, who's there? Is Guy home? Blah, blah, blah. But it's a very purposeful cutaway. Yeah, and when she turns around, you get her close up, and then it cuts to, and you see what she sees, the pierced ears. And it's just like, man, look at that. That's just, it's smart, it's quick. They got her over the shoulder and her close up all in one shot from her turning around because they blocked right. the actors. You got two shots because you moved the actor, not because you did anything else. I mean, just, and, you know, it's there's, great. there's, there's definitely two philosophies to directing. And then I, you know, I've seen people do both, and both, you know, have their, their merit. I've seen the, okay, let the actors show you where they're going to go, and then you shoot around it. And I, I personally prefer the sh- telling the actor where you want them to go and try to get your, your shot that you want. Well, that, that's weird that a director would say that. That's, that's so bizarre, Vincent. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> not all directors would say that, but the way my brain works, that's better. I can't always do it because different circumstances, but yeah, yeah. It's weird you bring that up because like Polanski is very much like, this is where you're going to be. I need you to be in my shot right here to get this because this is what I want. The actor that plays uh, Guy, uh, John Cassavetes, or John Cassavetes, I, I don't know. I want to say he's the originator of mumblecore, but he's one of the first guys that is that let the actors dictate 
where the camera's going to be, much like kind of like Woody Allen. Right. Or it's just like, you know, we're not going to put so much emphasis on shots and stuff. I'm just going to set the camera up over here, and we're going to let the actors do the, their thing. And he made these, um, and he did so many of these, like, little indie films, kind of like the Sodenberg, Steven Sodenberg of his day. Um, and I was talking to a, you know, a director who works out in L.A., and his philosophy is bring the actors in. He'll rehearse with the actors, with the camera crew watching. And then once the actors go out to go to get in the makeup, he'll turn to the camera crew and go, okay, we're going to cover this in a wide. When they move over here, we'll get, you know, he, he picks his shots out based on what the actors do. I don't, I guess I don't think that way. Cause to me, like I'm, I'm seeing the movie before the actors are even cast. So yeah, I want to see that shot. Like I've written it so that this shot is for this reason. I feel like you got to have some money, though, in order to do that, <laughs> to be able to, you know what I mean, to have the time on set to pick your, your shots out. Like, man, most of the things I do are, you know, more in the more in the low budget s- scale. So, <laughs> so much emphasis is put up on, let's get the camera up. Let's get going. Let's get this first shot out. Let's get our day rolling. <laughs> Director, give me the shot. <laughs> let's get going. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I, yeah, I haven't been able to work on one of those sets where it's like, oh yeah, hey, let's let's sit here and take our <laughs> shots out, and take our time, and <laughs> well, you know, I everything mean, is always so rushed. I've done it with with commercial work, and you know, especially when you're not using a with your cheaper setup, we'll say, um, yeah, you know, you can pop around and just catch stuff. Uh, yeah, when you're doing like more B-roll, and... but it does end up it it ends up a lot more choppy, a lot more a lot more cuts. It definitely gives the editor more choices. You as an editor should love it. I would rather have like four really great shots than like twenty mediocre ones. Every, every time you cut, you're breaking the tension, or you're you're alleviating and and making the scene show in where it's not reality. Right. If that makes sense. So I I prefer not to cut as much as as much as possible. But sometimes you know, especially in conversation scenes, I think it's important so you can get different people's reactions and. Not every film's the same either, you know. There's so yeah, many, I mean, you know, in some action scenes you kind of want those cuts. Uh, man, dude, I don't know. I like I like action scenes. Like, it, dude, uh, if everything could be I shot like some. old boy. Oh man, I said some. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, that is impressive when they pull those like long takes off, oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I like that kind of stuff. I know it's cheesy and a little gimmicky, but See, I love it when it's fun. Like, especially if I'm excited. watching it with like my wife and. I see that it's all one shot, but she doesn't notice it. Because, like, to her, it's just, you know, you're watching a movie. Like, she does, she's not paying attention to the shots. Yeah. So, like, the opening of um the last James Bond movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spectrum. Like, we watched the movie, and then I was like, what did you think of that amazing opening shot? And she was like, what do you mean? And I went back and showed her, like, until the camera cut, and she was like, I didn't even notice that. Because to her, like, once it focuses on him, then her brain did the cut, you know? I love it when they do that kind of stuff. And that, I mean, that, that goes into editing too. Like when, when there are cuts that, but your brain feels like it's seamless, then it's been shot well and edited well. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But when you start noticing these cuts and I, I mean, I'm not like saying that in our last movie, you can, there's scenes where you can notice cuts cause we were shooting around certain problems well, I mean, some of that too. Like we were, we were even doing flashbacks in that. So it's like you know, those. those well, that are meant stuff to, you're supposed to notice. Yeah, like we we meant you to notice that stuff. Exactly. I'm talking about like I'll give a little back behind the scenes story. We were just talking about action that's seamless. Um, we had our actor running, actress running across a, a creek in the mountains. 
you know, riding it, you wanted to run, it's one shot, you're gonna run, you're gonna run with her across the creek, never thinking about these rocks are gonna be slicker than snail shit. <laughs> There's all kinds of crap and algae on them. And- we could not get a clean run across that looked fast and fierce. <laughs> right. So it you end up like an old lady going across <laughs> creek is what like, it looked yeah, like. Yeah, that that intensity of I've got to cross this creek now is gone because it's I've got to keep myself from breaking my face. And you know, it's not <laughs> her fault. She did take a good couple falls before we went, "Okay, we're going to break this up." But at that point now yeah. you're having to shoot to create the action instead of shooting the action. Oh yeah. I mean that's and, that's one where like editing is used for those it's used to solve a problem, and I think that, too, also, like, helps wrap up the tension, too, in that scene. Like, cutting more, you know... But what I'm saying is, like... Gives you that you, adrenaline pump. What I'm saying, though, is, like, those. that's a moment where you're noticing the edits, and it doesn't feel as smooth as it would have if it was just, you know, a steady cam across the... I don't know. I, th- I think when you're, when you're cutting on those actions, it, 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 it adds to the chaos, you know? Like, you're getting glimpses here, you're getting glimpses there. It's kind of like... Um, well, we definitely try to use it in moments of, like, chaos. and I, I like to think of it like when, you, when you're in a chaotic situation, your adrenaline is pumping, and you know how, like, your head is, like, all... You're like a bird, where you're just, like, snapping and looking at this, and you're looking at that, you're looking at this because right. you're in a panic mode, and that's, that's what you want there. You want that almost, like, I'm looking at things like a bird, and... I don't know, that's a terrible analogy, but, you know... You, well, I get you, what you're saying. Yeah, you understand what I'm getting... But I mean, I'm I brought it up just to say that I, you know, I'm not. I have done this, but I prefer it when you can you can capture what you're talking about and the action in one kind of cool. It's almost that seamless. You don't even notice that it's cutting. It's well, yeah, that's a good caveat, though. I mean, we should put that out there. It's like, you know, when we talk about rules and and things you do, it's like that's not the case for everything all the time. They and a lot you- of times, it's just it's just our opinion. Well, yeah. I, Filmmaking is about choices, and there are no wrong or right choices. They're just ones that you make at the end of the day, and people like them or hate them. I mean, just going back to the beginning of this conversation, inspired by Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> this podcast brought to you by everything but Rosemary's Baby. You know, yeah, some directors prefer to block their actors and get the you know these shots where some directors prefer to let the actors do what they're going to do and shoot around it. That's a choice. Yeah. Probably watch ten movies and love ten, you know, five different ways of doing the same thing. Oh, I think the whole thing that brought us up on that was uh, the John Cassavetes and Roman Polanski, and yeah, these guys did not get along on set. Exactly what you're talking about: two different styles of filmmaking in on one set, and one one just wants to do different things and explore and move around, whereas Polanski's no, you need to be here, you need to hit that, and. I was just. They had some I, conflicts on the set. Yeah, I mean, it brought it, it came up on this because you know, watching watching the movie, I was impressed at how how much he brings you into Rosemary's world. Oh yeah, with these you know just very economical shots, and then later you know he's building tension with the same thing, like when she's in the phone booth and the guy stands behind her, and you don't know if that's the doctor or not, and you're waiting for him to turn around, and instead of him cutting to like her hanging the phone up and her POV and. You're just on her with this dude behind her, and then he turns around, and it's not the doctor. And I love that man. It's just this one shot, and there's so much tension in it. And that it's the guy just turns around, and smiles at her, and she's just like, "Oh, thank God, fuck, you're not, oh, you're not Doctor Saperstein." And it's just you know, it's it's using that frame to tell the story. That's kind of where I'm getting at. Is 
anybody that's wanting to learn how to tell stories with the with the camera, watch this movie. Like, you oh, yeah, can really absolutely. see how to use a frame and how to use camera motion and act blocking actors to get visual points across. I think Polanski is really, really good at this. I think this is like his first film where he started developing his film language. And just for our, and, get, and getting his shots like that. While while we're telling while the we're story, here, we we use this term a lot: cinema language. Do you yeah. want to explain? Like, explain what you mean by that? Well, I mean, it's your cinema language. I mean, that's uh, your shots, and it's, it's how you tell a story for cinema using the camera. Yeah, using the camera, and because you know, there might be people out there that don't know what. Like, <laughs> what are you talking? It's, these aren't silent fucking films, asshole. Well, you know, I did. Um, I did get an email, and I was actually going to bring this up on the at the end of the podcast, where somebody somebody actually wrote us uh, an email that I thought was great. They were asking. We got a good email. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a really good question. What counts? What do you consider to be a close up, a medium close up, and a wide? Where where does it fall in terms of an actor's body? How do you frame? And what is considered a close up? That was a pretty interesting email. Um, like extreme close up. What would you consider an extreme close up? I would usually, if I'm calling for an extreme close up, it's like I want eyes and nose, or maybe just an eye, or. Yeah, that's 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 what I think. Now, do you like shoulders in a close up? Sometimes, yeah. It it also depends on the frame width too. If you're going full, you know, one eight five, then you're gonna have more. Yeah, you'd have you'd have more vertical image to work with. Whereas in two three five, two three five, I just I like framing people's faces. It, it almost asks for it. Yeah, you but know? you still yeah you're still gonna get probably top of shoulder, but top of shoulder, not. See, I would almost consider that a medium close up. I consider medium close up from uh, like breast line. Well, if it's breast line, breast line, like yeah, I would call that a medium close. Yeah, that's definitely medium close. But see, I would never use the term medium close. I would just go. I want a head and shoulder. <laughs> I want a head and shoulder. Head shoulder. Let's make sure close. we get the 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 puppies in. Uh, Although it- I don't like that shot, so I don't ask for it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Medium close ups are kind of. Oh, they're so vague too. Because, like, I mean, a medium close-up, like asking somebody to frame that, like, literally, they will. Your bottom of your frame can be from breast to to neck almost. Yeah. Well, I guess to shoulders. I mean, you'd have to include the shoulders in a medium close-up. But then you got uh, what is it? The next one up is a medium shot, which is I don't know, is that waist, waist to head? I guess you could go down to knees, but at that point, that's I call that a cowboy. Yeah. Because that's how they frame them in those old westerns back in the day. I don't even know if they use that term anymore, though. Well, that's lower, though. Yeah, it's like knees knees to head is cowboy. Well, camera's lower. Oh, you're talking about the actual physical? But Well, I don't know I if always, that matters for a shot. I always kind of, I don't know, mentally for me, like the cowboy was always a little bit lower. You're getting knees up. Yeah. Well, kind of looking at like at that Clint Eastwood, make him look tall. Well, that's another thing, too, when you're talking to your like cinematographer. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I want a close-up. It's like... I need a if if you say a close up, they're going to give you an eye level close up. You know, if you want it raised or lower, you have to say I want a low angle, and that's the well, camera I mean, looking that's up the at other somebody. Thing too is high angle camera looking when down. When you're when you're discussing with your cinematographer, you're not just going I want a close up. Bye. Like <laughs> it's a sort of lazy way of doing it. I don't know, man. I've I've actually I mean, seen when, some directors like yeah, that's yeah, that's that, whatever. I mean, in, in my experience, like. When I have just gone, eh, just give me a medium shot. It's not the shot I want. So we usually have a little bit more of a discussion on, you know, what do we want to see in this? 
Where's the camera? What way are we looking? Full shots are pretty easy. Everything else is pretty easy. Like full shot, that's a whole actor. Yeah. Wide shot, that's when an actor is teeny in frame. Extreme wide is when they're really teeny. Yeah, that's when they're dots. <laughs> that's when you get those huge crowd shots, man. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, there's you can have people have like different definitions and, you know. But, I mean, if, if your cinematographer doesn't get it exactly where you want, you can just be like, you know, make it tighter, make it tighter, frame it tighter, you know, go looser, go wide, you know. And pre-planning helps, too. Even little stick man storyboards can communicate a lot. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of overheads. I love overheads, man. Because that way you can just look at, like, you know, overhead, you get, like, a floor plan, and you draw your actors and where your actors are going to be, like, where they're going to move. and then That's great for blocking setups. your camera. Yeah. But for actually, like, what you're shooting doesn't really help. No, it doesn't help with, like, your framing or anything like that. But I just, I don't know. I like looking at those. I think you just the like day. them because it's like a... I got a plan from this. Well, I don't know. It's it's logistically. I know we can shoot this. <laughs> it's just. Well, I don't know. It's it's easier for me to look at that and just be like, oh, okay, I know exactly what you're shooting and where they're going, and you know, I can see all that. Sometimes in storyboards, like where I'll get confused is movement. You got to follow the arrows. Well, you can follow the arrows, but like if they don't draw out like exactly, I'm like, okay, wait, is that person? Okay, oh man, turning you, this can't, way. you can't say uh, I have. <laughs> I give you the I give you the detailed the dark arrows are camera movement the white arrows are character movement the character is moving this way while the camera is moving this way I don't it's just something I don't know why it is it's just easier for me to to get actor motion out of a of an overhead that's weird I know but no, it's just the way your brain works. It's yeah, cool. <laughs> it's like your brain's fucked up, dude. I don't know. What I didn't say that. Like. <laughs> It's it goes back to the the technical versus the you know we've talked about it before. I mean, you like storytelling. Just storytelling's great. It's awesome. It's fun. It's just it's just useless, man. You know, it's, it's pointless. I want to see where the camera's at. I, I just I, I want to see I want to see the story just through that camera lens, man. That's where it's at. Uh, all right, I don't we care can... what you're shooting. I just want to know like, is it logistically possible? <laughs> can we actually do this? And will it cut together? Okay, I feel better. Uh, all right. No, back the to reason you things. like overheads is you like to look at it and go, "Are you okay? Are you optimizing the shooting time here?" Like if you take the storyboard and the overhead together, then you suddenly start realizing, "Okay, well, I can get shots A, B, A, C, and E all from shot A. I really don't need to move the camera this way." Yeah. So the storyboard and the overhead sort of work hand in hand. Oh, yeah, they absolutely work in there. I mean, you really need, like, all that stuff. And and to answer the email question, look it up on Google. It'll give you examples. <laughs> I, well, I, I think they was asking for, like, what were, you know, our definitions of... I mean, because, dude, you you ask one person what a close-up is, and you ask another, you know, you can't get different things, you know. All right, so let's let's go back to Rosemary's Baby now that we have literally talked about everything else filmmaking-wise. Well, Rosemary Baby inspired a... It's a beautifully shot film, and it inspired some talk about shooting movies. Outside of Roman Polanski, um, did we mention that he also wrote the film? He's the writer and director. He did adapt uh, the screenplay. And did a really good job. Yeah, he he did. And he's a good writer, too. You know, this is actually, like, the middle chapter in Polanski's uh, uh, Paranoia trilogy, where it started with Repulsion. Which I totally forgot he did that. Um, I we didn't because we made Girl in Woods. Yeah, I know. It's and that was a movie that we looked at multiple times during the making of that. Um, that's the first one. And then you have Rosemary's Baby, and then he followed it up 
um, with the tenant, which a lot of people haven't seen, but that's that's pretty good. Well, you definitely can feel some of the um, you know leftover repulsion ideas in the shots and stuff, and Rosemary's baby as she starts becoming paranoid about what are they planning to do, what's this conspiracy, and you know she's trying to explain to this doctor that she's not crazy and she wants somebody to believe her. But even in the book, that works so well because like you know she's telling the truth, and I mean that's such a great storytelling tool is when the audience knows the protagonist is telling the truth, but nobody will believe them. It's used in horror movies all the time, like. You know, I, I that is one thing. Like in the movie, it is very clear that she got raped by Satan. Like I, I did not question that at all. Once ever, I saw the movie. Once you see the rape scene, I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't a dream. No, she got raped. Well, she got raped by Satan. I can imagine seeing it for the first time and wondering if that's all just some sort of dream sequence. But did you wonder that the first time? You no. Saw it? Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, you know, it's a horror movie about. I mean, it, you've seen the trailer. You read the read the back of the video box yeah i never i never thought that but i'm reading the book though i was like i you know i can totally see how you could get all this being in her head because even her satanic rape is is it's mixed in with that dream yeah but then like later in the story like elements of that dream she starts seeing and then especially at the end when she goes in and you know she sees the burning church and yeah i mean it's 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 layered a little bit more I, I, I'm just a big fan of that storytelling element where the protagonist is trying to get someone to believe him. It's used a lot in like teen horror movies where the teenagers are trying to tell the parents that <laughs> Freddy is alive and they're going, no, he's not. I've got to talk about Mia Farrow's performance, though. The backbone, I think, outside Roman Polanski of Rosemary's Baby, man. This is an amazing performance. It is amazing. It is the one. I think this made her career, man. I think the thing she was known uh, before this was uh, was the TV show she was on, uh, Peyton's Place, I think was the show. And, of course, she was married to Frank Sinatra. Mia Farrow was like 20, 21, 22 at the time. She comes across very, like, you know, young and innocent, and you feel really bad for her. I guess at this point in her life, she's so young, and she portrays that innocent. I, I can see what you were saying. Like, after you read the book, it's, she it's does not, comes off it's a little nothing, bit weaker. It's nothing to do with her performance. You know, you take away some of the things that are in the book and just leave the other stuff. I mean, she sort of comes across like a doormat for Guy. But in the book, you know, she does leave him and she does kind of stand up for herself and she does give him an ultimatum. And in the movie, she's just like, okay, whatever, you can just be a dick. Well, yeah, even like that scene where she's supposed to be eating the, the drugged chocolate mousse. You know, he's like, well, you got to eat it all up. and Eat it, bitch. And then, like, after she, like, fakes eats it and she throws it out and everything, she's like, oh, look, I ate it all. What do I get, daddy? And he gives her, like, some weird kiss on the forehead, and he's like, good girl. The weird, the, the like, the, the strangest scene is right there at the beginning when they first move into the apartment. Oh. And they're like, hey, do you want to make love? And that it's just this awkward. static shot of... All right, let's take our clothes off. and That is the boringest sex scene ever. But, but it, it's so telling of like how their relationship works. It's like, this guy is not into this chick. Yeah, he, he seems that way. I don't know why Guy is married to her. I almost comes across like he needs that trophy wife. That's like part of being an actor is to have the trophy wife. Yeah, or, or just to have the, uh, I don't know, somebody that makes him feel good about himself that boosts his ego up. Yeah, you know, because I don't know how many times in the movies does uh, Mia Mia Farrow go like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, he was in Luther and he was in." It's like, damn girl, how many people are you going to tell he was in Luther? We get it. Well, it's that it's that she's di- really proud. 
it's that dynamic of, you know, this big boaster's personality needs this, he's feeding off of the praise of this little meek woman. Um, she's definitely more into him than she, he is. And then there's that weird scene where he has to go to work, but she has nowhere to be. And he's like, wake up, wake up. It's almost nine o'clock. I've got to be somewhere in 30 minutes. And you're wondering, well, why the fuck does she have to wake up? And I guess you got to remember that back then it's like, you know, get up. You have to make my breakfast. (laughs) I'm a dude. I've never been taught to cook. Hello. I'm leaving. Where's my food? You got to do stuff for me. That's my least favorite scene, though, in the movie. Um. After her devil rape. Isn't that weird to just say? Devil rape. (laughs) When you say it, does does something in your brain go, I shouldn't say that. Devil rape, yeah. no, Yeah, you're right. Those words shouldn't go together. But, I mean, what else do you describe? Satanic ritual rape? I mean, I don't know what you call that, but it's bad. Um, (laughs) Witchery lovemaking? No, that was definitely not lovemaking. He even lies to her the next morning when she's like, what are all these scratches? He's like, I'll cut my fingernails off. Well, that's the thing. Like, he... He admits to, like, having sex with her when she's passed out, and she's obviously upset about it. Like, in the book, it goes into a lot more detail. Like, she gets pissed about this. Yeah. And she leaves. She goes to, like, Hutch's for, like, a weekend or something. Yeah. She's like, I can't believe you would do that. And yeah. In the movie, she's just like, oh, okay. And that that that's one thing where I'm like, yeah, that's too much of a pushover, man. You should have. a little passe on that. <laughs> yeah, you should have done something. I was watching and noticing that, like, she, he never does anything for her. Like, he's there to play block for anybody else talking to her. Oh, yeah. Guy's a total dick. I mean, just a total. And he tries to make up for it by, like, getting her flowers and all this other crap. And it's just like. But if you watch, like, the, so like the scenes that follow, like, he doesn't help her at all. Like, he's yeah, he's all about him, man. Oh, uh, he will help her if somebody else is there. Then he's all like, "Oh yeah, let me, let me, let me." But go, yeah, but it's only it's let only when like Hutch is there. Or, yeah, like they did a really good job of balancing. I mean, he's basically acting. That's the thing. That is one line I liked in the in the book where it's like, "How do you know when an actor is telling the truth?" You know, and it's like uh, she wrestles with that a lot. And I, I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. It's like, oh, that's a good point. Like, how how could you like if that's if you're paid to be another character and lie to somebody and that's all the time yeah it's like well lying would be real easy for you i hate the guy character so much i think you're supposed to i know he's just the worst though man he's the oh deceitful lying dick like how could you do that to your partner because he doesn't love her she's she's just there for to, to satisfy this part of his ego. Yeah, he just comes across as the biggest self-centered douchebag. Like, e- even the, the Coven members, at least they care for the baby. Like, he doesn't even care about the damn right. Antichrist. Like, he's not even in it to, like, like, they're in it because they want to bring about the end of the world and the satanic devil thing. Yeah, the people that are causing they, the they, apocalypse. They have a purpose outside of themselves. He doesn't. Even sitting there with the Antichrist in the crib across from him, his explanation to Rosemary is, they've promised us so much stuff. Like, we're going to be so rich. And When she spits in his face, dude, that is the most fucking... I just want to fist pump the air every time I see him. I just want want her to pick the knife up and just go to town on that motherfucker. He just... Because he looks so disgusted, like... Damn it, bitch, did you have to spit in my face? The satanic people are not going to care. They're like, just bring the blood over here. We can rub it on the baby. (laughs) That's true. That's so creepy at the end, too. When it, it, Well, I think it it actually starts dollying into her as she goes up to the crib as the baby's crying. She wants to go and soothe it. 
And then that lullaby. I think it's Mia Farrow actually doing the lullaby, the la 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 yeah. la. And then it just pans away, and you're like, goes to the exterior. And you know, of the something hotel. my brain play, oh. played tricks on me. Like for some reason, I always remembered her looking down and seeing the baby. Seeing the baby's eyes. Oh man, it's because of that line she delivers. It, it's because of that cut in of her remembering the devil's eyes looking at her. Oh yeah, and you know they're telling you that he has his father's eyes. So my imagination created this little baby with contact lenses in. This is a the terrific ending. Terrific ending. I cannot say it enough. I love the script. I when it's a it. good example of like what you can make your audience believe they saw. But the end is so just. That shit fucking bonkers, man. I just I can't get over it. I just I it's it's well, so think insane. about how think about how people in like nineteen sixty something felt when they saw it. I know, like I, they I just, had to be going, what the? I, I imagine <laughs> churches were just packed the next day. Like that had to be just the most bone chilling thing uh, they had ever heard. Like what is this sweet old lady and this sweet old the man? Bitch from and... Andy Griffith just said. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, dude, I love... She says, hell, Satan. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, hey, good morning, neighbor. <laughs> it's like, what? It's Aunt B's best friend. Hail Satan. I love me some Satan. Can't get enough of them. Oh, weird. Like, yeah, it is a batshit crazy ending. <laughs> it is nuts, man. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? He has his father's eyes. What are you talking about? Guys, eyes are normal. What have you done to him, you maniac? Satan is his father, not Guy. He came up from hell and begat a son of mortal woman. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Satan is his father, and his name is Adrian. He shall overthrow the mighty and lay waste their temples. He shall redeem the despised and wreak vengeance in the name of the burned and the tortured. Hail Adrian! He chose you out of all the world, out of all the women, the whole world. He chose you. He arranged things because he wanted you to be the mother of his only living son. His power is stronger than stronger. His might shall last longer than longer. Satan! No! It can't be! No! Look at his hands and his feet. God is dead! Satan lives! The year is one! And there's also the running theme of, you know, all Guy wants is success. He wants success as an actor. Yeah. And all she wants is this baby. But in the end, like, they both give in. To get what they want, they give in to the coven. How far will you go to get what you want? Yeah, yeah, you know, guy does it like a complete asshole, and uh, you know, Rosemary just gets, uh, she just makes the best out of a really shitty situation. Well, I mean, if you think about it, she's got like the Antichrist there, the world's gonna come to an end, and she has a butcher knife. The best of a really shitty situation for the rest of us would be to kill the little bastard. Yeah, she wants a baby. That's all she wants is a baby, because her husband's not any comfort to her. Ooh. Uh, dude, that now that is a real philosophical question. Now that we're thinking about it, uh, you know, w- would you go to hell if you killed the Antichrist? I don't think so. I don't know, man. In, in, Everybody you know. can be forgiven, bro. Everybody can be forgiven. 
Well, yeah, I'm sure she would be forgiven. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I mean, you could forget. Uh, the Antichrist could be turned around, maybe, right? I mean... Brought up in the right environment. Nature versus nurture. <laughs> people forgot... I mean, there was constant wars for God in the Bible. Like, the, millions of motherfuckers just wiped off the planet. You get to heaven, you'd be like, you killed the Antichrist? All right, come on in. Dude, you know there would be some asshole somewhere that would be like... You can't abort the baby, even if it is the son of Satan. <laughs> I think there's rules you can bend. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can let this one go. Oh my gosh! <sighs> you can't prove it, and it's born with you know hoofs. You're like, okay, that's not that that's not right. Kill it. Originally, she was gonna have this baby at a hospital. I can understand the doctor knows what to expect, but how do you hide it from a team of nurses and a nursery? Fucker's got horns. <laughs> Damn it. I bet she fucked a goat. <laughs> See what happened after Clarice saved the lamb. Bow chicka bow wow. I don't know, man. Okay, all right. Uh... <laughs> oh my gosh. So tell us the life story of Bob Evans, the executive producer of this movie. This guy has just produced so many movies he greenlit like um The Godfather. Yeah, The Godfather, Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby, obviously, and um I think Love Story. He's had a lot of hits, and he's just such a bigger-than-life, eccentric personality. He had some cocaine problems in the 80s. Who says, didn't? Yeah, exactly right. It says some of the most crazy, insane shit ever. Like, <laughs> takes credit for, for every great idea, every bad idea. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, he's, he's just such a huge personality. So One he's the, from Hollywood. Oh, dude. Big Hollywood personality. And uh, yeah, you have to watch the documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture. It's, so uh, where does the title, The Kid Stays from the Picture, Stays uh, in the Picture, come from? Like, it, well, what, that, that, uh, that seems like it's obviously something that happened that yeah, meant something. He, well, he, start, he started off... Uh, acting, and I think he was a pretty terrible actor. I actually had never seen any of the movies that he acted in. And well, that's was... how executives usually get named. They either want to be actors or directors, <laughs> and they suck at both. Yeah, and then some guy wanted, uh, I forget the director, but someone wanted so to pull it out. they get and the director... in charge of green lighting stuff. Yeah, right. And the producer was like, yeah, you know what? The kid stays in the picture. That's where he pulled the title for his biography, or his autobiography, I should say. And... Okay. Then somehow he got to be the head of Paramount. And even when you watch the documentary, you're like, how the fuck did that happen? You, you see in business, the people that make it to the top of the sales and and business side of it are the most boisterous people that don't know what they're talking about. He has an interview where he... I'm kidding about that, by the way. <laughs> he had an interview where he even came out and said, like, uh, yeah, I got Mia Farrow to leave, you know, Frank Sinatra. And, you know, Frank Sinatra left Mia Farrow on this movie. Because Mia Farrow was going to be in a movie about a satanic cult, and she was going to be naked, and Frank Sinatra was not going to have his wife, his pretty young, beautiful wife, doing that shit. Can't she, blame him. <laughs> she she did the movie against his w- wishes, and... Uh, Baby, and, you're not going to go fuck Satan. I'm sorry. That's right. You're not doing that on screen. He served her with divorce papers while she was making the film. I mean, this movie had a little bit of behind-the-scenes drama and, you know, stuff afterwards, of course. The guy that did the score died, didn't he? Yeah, guy died. Yeah, guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christoph, um, what was it? Christoph Kamino? Yeah. I think was his name. And it, Polish um, composer had worked with uh, Polanski on a couple of others' movie. I think Fearless Vampire what Killers, is it with Kovacak. These, these devil movies and all this, like, people that, isn't that dying a thing? and divorcing and... 
Yeah, like the Exorcist. Stay away from satanic material. (laughs) Got the cameo of the old guy. Um, Fuck, what's his name? Oh, William Castle. Yeah, William Castle in the phone booth. From from the famous uh, 13 Ghosts. And yeah, he's an old... I kept wanting to call him a schlock producer, but I mean, that's how people thought of him back in the day is, you know, B-movie schlock and whatever. He's famous now. People remember William Castle's name. He's the the old man outside of that telephone booth. I love the telephone calls in the movie and like how close you are to Mia Farrow's face. And you're hearing everything like it sounds on the phone. Yeah. Which is it's such a bizarre choice. I'm not 100% sure what he was trying to say with that, but it's it's definitely noticeable when you're watching the film. This shitty audio guy, you think they did it on purpose? <laughs> I would like to know specifically, like, why did you choose that? What was your thinking? We'll see if you can get him on, and we'll do a <laughs> Skype session. There you go. Hey, Polanski, do you have time for us? The cast of vets. Uh, Roman and Minnie, husband and wife. Now, Minnie, the actress, uh, Ruth did she Gordon. win, like, a Best Actress? For this? She's yeah. awesome in this movie, by the way. Yeah, dude, she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. And the, for the, a horror film. Right? I mean, that was that's sixty eight, dude. That's a pretty. But she big is deal. she is that perfect like blend of nosy neighbor, grandmotherly, in your face, kind of obtrusive neighbor. She looks like she has a lot of fun with the role. Yeah, I mean, she plays it over the top in a believable way. Yeah, you know, it works for the character. And she gets frustrated when Rosemary won't eat her shit anymore. Not like she's feeding her shit, but she's trying to feed her these certain vitamins that's making her sick. And it might be shit. Who knows what's in that devil drink, man? Uh, Your satanic tea. It looked like cookies, uh, like a cookies and cream milkshake, is what it looked like. Vitamins that you can't get over the counter. Get your fresh vitamins. At the end, where she she kind of knocks off her over goody goody act when she gives her the tea, and she's like, "What's in it?" It's just regular old Lipton tea. Right. And it, like she kind of breaks out from her high pitchedness at that moment. She's like, And then on. at the end when she like Rosemary's figured it all out and she sneaks into the house, like she's just she's done with Rome- Rosemary at that point. Like no more acting. We got what we want. Yeah, stop 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 being so whiny. Stop crying all the time. What are you worried about? It's just a little antichrist. <laughs> Yeah, her character was really good. And, I, you know, I know the guy didn't win an Oscar, but... Uh, he did a good job, though. Sidney Blackmer did a great job. Sidney Portier? No, that's that's another Sidney. I did like the Scrabble scene, though. I liked it when she did bust out the Scrabble set. I feel like we don't do that anymore We're in, in films where we just let characters make logic leaps and just go with it. Because if you look at it, she's she has the book, and then it just cuts to her, and she's pulling the Scrabble board out. Right. You know, it's not like, oh, what can I use to do this? Or well, let me get on the... Well, modern movies, it's all... Get on the computer? Type it in and let the Oracle answer. The reason, like, it's horror movies should just be all... Oh, they should all be just, like, set in a time period? Yeah. Before cell phones? Yeah, <laughs> before before technology ruined horror. Like, You know, that's true. We have nothing to worry about now. <laughs> like... Why is that? Why I why is it I don't mind when people read books and find out information like that on screen, but I don't care much for it when it's on a computer screen. Because they're they're having to like you're shooting this book and you're getting the action of them pulling the book off and scanning the book lines and then, you know, piecing all that in on a computer screen, it's just like it's just shit. You're, like you're saying that, I was like, I was trying to think of like the best computer screen like research I can think of seeing. The only thing I can think of is like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I kind of liked how that was Screen done. Four, 
I mean, nothing like I'm, I'm thinking of like the awesome stuff from books. And like the first thing I think of is like Brody looking at the pictures of the shark, you know, for the first time. Dude, that's just pictures of a shark in a book. It's great. I love it. I mean, you know, and there's times in in movies where they're using computers and cell phones that don't bother me. Yeah, I mean, um, it it, it it's just a stupid. It's nitpicky. just not as cinematic. I don't it's know why? Just, well, because you're shooting a computer screen. Like it's hard to make that look good. Damn it! We need to come up with a way of shooting computer screens. <laughs> it's uh, it's why. That's why, like, the guy that made the the shallows was like trying to do something different because just shooting a camera doesn't. A phone doesn't look good. You know that's true. In the shallows, they did kind of get around that. That's a very valid point. Man. Um, I mean, that's a, a perfect reason why I think he did the little like hologram things off to the side. Is it just shooting a phone doesn't look interesting, and it's hard to you know get that light to work. And I don't think it always worked in the shallows, but I you know for the most part, I I liked it more than I I disliked it. It's a better way to show the phone stuff. I yeah I just I prefer you know the nitpicky thing I have on when people are doing like the Google search to find out it, for one thing like Google searches don't work like that like who killed my dad oh here blow this picture up. oh there it is oh my god but it's always some like because they don't want to pay the licensing fee so instead of it being Google it's like frugal <laughs> you know what I mean like they the fake computer Ask screens Net. and yeah. Asknet what the fuck is that what the fuck is this porn site Asknet what is that <laughs> <laughs> oh Asknet okay okay oh man kids don't go to that one well man I can't think of anything uh, else to say um, Benson closing thoughts for Rosemary's Baby as a storytelling lesson any one of you know anybody that wants to be a filmmaker or just loves movies and wants to see like you know how stories can be told on screen as opposed to a book reading this book and then watching this movie watching the camera movement watching the camera placement and then just looking at how how he took the the story from the book and condensed it into the movie it still gets across pretty much the same story i think it's a pretty you know it's a pretty good little lesson in film story versus novelization yeah i have to agree with that man i don't know reading the book does add a lot to the film i mean the film's just so classic man it's a movie i saw the movie first before i uh i read the book and man roman polanski really way he moves his camera where he's getting these actors to go the performances of the actors all feel very natural and even though they're doing crazy things like hell satan at the end in, in this in this room it still feels right and natural for e- even it's over the top insanity that it has. And it's just, it's so well made, so well directed. The music is really well done. And, and you know, something else you'd mentioned that you, you saw the movie before you read the book. So yeah. did I, so I saw the movie first too. And a lot of times, like when you, you see the movie and then you go read the book, like they're so different that you might have a bias towards one or the other or, or in some cases, like, you know, the book's like, wow, this is so much better, and it kind of makes you retro-hate what they did with the movie. But this is like, they, they coincide together so well. It's worth, if you've seen the movie and you like it, it's worth reading the book. It's not a long read. It's not gonna. It's not like reading The Stand, where it's going to take a month of your <laughs> dedication to get through it. Yeah, no, you can, you can put this Although my wife day. read The Stand in, like, three days, and I wanted to, like, slap her. Like how the fuck do you read that that fast? I don't. I've never read that unabridged one, which is like, oh, isn't that like over a thousand pages? Yeah, it's like twelve hundred pages, and she read it in like three days. Yeah, I read the one that was like eight hundred something. It took me like a month and a half to read that unabridged version, and I'm talking like dead, like loving reading it, and I just read slower. 
and she's like a fucking speed reader. Like, are you just making shit up? Like, are you just skipping? Go, yeah, I know exactly what happened. Yeah, it's something about a baby. Yeah, in the world. Yeah, virus, whatever. Okay, all right, done. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I got the gist of it. Let's watch the movie now. Uh, that is a terrible TV miniseries. Oh, now it's not that bad. First part's really good. I guess. And it just sort of drops from there. Hey, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there's a, there are a lot of bad TV. Like The Shining, the one they did for TV was pretty bad. Yeah. Tommy pretty... Knockers was horrible. Tommy, yeah, that, that book, book was... is sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one to get through, man. I mean, that's just, you're kind of screwed regardless. Uh, yeah, when the... When the cops are there and the coke machine starts hovering in the and shooting cokes, I'm just like, dude, seriously. I think with the the Stan miniseries, like I really got caught up in that first part because it was like, you know, that the flu is going around, it's the government hanging, you know, gathering people up, and now like 90 percent of people are dead. Like the story is big enough that I over I overlook the shitty production quality. Yeah. But then when you get later in the story and, you know, things slow down and you can't help but notice the shitty production quality. I don't know, man. I tried rewatching it not too long ago and I couldn't get through the first episode. I was just like, I, I can't. Technical versus story. That's <sighs> I just, I can't do it, man. It's not the fact that it looks bad. Like, I can, wa- I can watch bad looking stuff. I mean, I, I watch Godzilla movies. I can, I can do it. I can do old stuff. It's not a problem. Mick Garris is a terrible, terrible director i just i yeah i don't understand why he's the go-to guy for (laughs) i that that will that will forever go down as what why yeah nicest guy in the entire world really awesome guy i'm just not a very big fan of his work personally i mean makes choices i don't care much for as an audience member that's all i mean you know he just makes very tv generic choices yeah he's (laughs) definitely no roman polanski uh, if you haven't seen like some of his, uh, haven't seen some of Roman Polanski's later stuff too, I highly recommend checking out some of his uh, his later movies as well too. I know we talked about a lot about his earlier stuff, but man, like Death in the Maiden with uh, Ben Kingsley and Sigourney Weaver, that's great. And I think he did another uh, satanic movie not too long ago. What was the name of it with Johnny Depp? Um, the Ninth Gate. He did that. I didn't know. I didn't even know he did that. One. Yeah, it's not a bad little heart. It gets a little weird at the end, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I know I like a lot of film. people kind of boycott his stuff because of the court case, but yeah, I guess that's sort of your own personal. I mean, I I usually try not to let people's personal life affect. Yeah, I don't how know. I view their professional work. Yeah, I don't know him personally. Like, I mean, you know, Mel Gibson says things about Jews and goes on tyrants about women. That's okay. I still love the Road Warrior, and that's not. Well, it's not okay. Stop from but it's not going to change my opinion of his work. Well, no, okay. I'm not saying it's okay personally. But I mean, it's. You know what I mean? Like it's It's like even when I, I Mike Tyson him. went to jail for possible rape, <laughs> it still didn't take away he was the baddest motherfucker on the planet at that yeah. time. Yeah, you still enjoyed watching him fight, right. you know, even though he may be a rapist. Although from what I understand that kind of came out as he was sort of set up. Oh, really? Dude, I mean, that's that's the thing with all this stuff. It's so yeah. like how can you really 100% ever know yeah, I mean, you're not there, so... I know. I don't know. I just I try not to judge people by what I hear in the news because we're not getting the whole story, so... Yes, let's, uh, let's go ahead and close this out now. You guys have been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, extra E at the end of crew at gmail.com. You guys can give us a rating on Facebook. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher. Five stars. We'd appreciate that. <laughs> of course, five stars. I mean, 
Don't be a dick and rate it one. I mean, like, why you can go out of your way to rate us a one star? I mean, what what an asshole. We didn't uh, do anything to you. I don't know. We didn't deserve that. Come on. Vincent, where can people follow you, sir? On the Twitter machine. On the Twitter. <laughs> at the J Edward at J Edward Benson on the Twitter. On the twi- where can I get one of those fancy the Twitter machines? Look it up on your Google machine. <laughs> ask your Oracle where you can ask pick the, up your ask Twitter. Ask the Oracle where where the Twitter is. And uh, guys, don't forget, uh, you can also check out our film, Girl in Woods. That's on iTunes as well, so that is available to buy and rent. So please do so. It's on VOD everywhere you want to buy your VOD. There you go. And we'd appreciate it. Buy it, rent it. Tell your kids about it, your grandkids about we it. We have a great idea for a new one, but we like kind of need you guys to buy this one first, or we can't do this great idea that you'll miss, you're missing out on because you haven't bought the other one. That's right. I'm out. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to close out the show with a little bit of the soundtrack here. We're going to play uh, Christophe Comina's uh, lullaby that opens and closes the film. You guys enjoy it.